0: Welcome to Calvary Live. We are so glad you could join us through our podcast. Here at Calvary, we want you to live life at the highest level through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We hope today's message will be an encouragement.
1: I'm gonna, I'm gonna show a video, and I'm not gonna preach one moment longer than what the Spirit of God wants me to speak. But I, I want you to watch this video with an open heart. It's from a prophet that was really maybe one of the last clarion voices of real authority of a past generation that uh, was a bona fide Jeremiah and John the Baptist in our nation that had a burden for this nation. His name was David Wilkerson. And he gives a clarion call to the church. It's only about seven minutes, and I'm gonna come and say a few things after it, and we're gonna pray. But would you do this? Would you open your heart and allow God to speak to you through this video? Would you open your heart and examine your heart and let the eyes of the Lord look upon your soul? And ask the questions, God, where do I need to shift so that I can flow and submit to what this man of God is saying? Would you do that as we play a call to anguish?
0: And I look at the whole religious scene today, and all I see are the inventions and ministries of man and flesh. It's mostly powerless. It has no impact on the world. And I see more of the world coming into the church and impacting the church, rather than the church impacting the world. I see the music taking over the house of God. I see entertainment taking over the house of God. An obsession with entertainment in God's house, a hatred of correction and a hatred of reproof. Nobody wants to hear it anymore. Whatever happened to anguish in the house of God? Whatever happened to anguish in the ministry? It's a word you don't hear in this pampered age. You don't hear it. Anguish means extreme pain and distress. The emotion so stirred. Then it becomes painful, acute, deeply felt inner pain because of conditions about you, in you or around you. Anguish, deep pain, deep sorrow, agony of God's heart. We've held on to our religious rhetoric and our revival talk, but we've become so passive All true passion is born out of anguish. All true passion for Christ comes out of a baptism of anguish. You search the scripture and you'll find that when God determined to recover a ruined situation, He would share His own anguish for what God saw happening to His church and to His people. And he would find a praying man, and he would take that man and literally baptize him in anguish. You find it in the book of Nehemiah. Jerusalem is in ruins. How is God going to deal with this? How is God going to restore the ruin? Now folks, look at me. Nehemiah was not a preacher. He was a career man. But this was a praying man. And God found a man who would not just have a flash of emotion, not just some great sudden burst of concern and then let it die. He said, no, I broke down and I wept and I mourned and I fasted. And then I began to pray night and day. Why didn't these other men, why didn't they have an answer? Why didn't God use them in restoration? Why didn't they have a word? Because there was no sign of anguish, no weeping, not a word of prayer. It's all ruined. Does it matter to you today? Does it matter to you at all that God's spiritual Jerusalem, the church, is now married to the world? That there's such a coldness sweeping the land, Closer than that, does it matter about the Jerusalem that's in our own hearts, the sign of ruin that's slowly draining spiritual power and passion, blind to lukewarmness, blind to the mixture that's creeping in, that's all the devil wants to do is get the fight out of you and kill it so you won't labor in prayer anymore. You won't weep before God anymore. You can sit and watch television and your family go to hell. Let me ask you, is, is what I just said convicted you at all? There's a great difference between anguish and concern. Concern is something that you, the biggest interest Do in. You take an interest in a project or a cause or a concern or a need. I'm going to tell you something I've learned over all my years, 50 years of preaching. If it is not born in anguish, if it has not been born by the Holy Spirit, where when you saw and heard of the ruin it drove you to your knees, took you down into a baptism of anguish where you began to pray and seek God. I know now. Oh my God, do I know it. Until I'm in agony, (laughs) until I have been anguished over it, and all our projects, all our ministries, everything we do, where are the Sunday School teachers that weep over kids they know are not hearing and they're going to hell? You see, a true prayer life begins at the place of anguish, you see, if you, you set your heart to pray, God's going to come and start sharing your heart, His heart with you. Your heart begins to cry out, Oh God, Your name is being blasphemed. The Holy Spirit's being mocked. The enemy is out trying to destroy the testimony of the Lord's faithfulness and something has to be done. There's going to be no renewal, no revival, no awakening until we're willing to let Him once again break us. Folks, it's getting late and it's getting serious. Please don't tell me, don't tell me you're concerned when you're spending hours in front of internet or television. Come on. Lord, there's so to get this altar and confess. I am not what I was. I'm not where I'm supposed to be. God, I don't have your heart or your burden. I've been, I wanted it easy. Didn't want to be happy. But Lord, true joy comes. True joy comes out of anguish. There's nothing of the flesh will give you joy. I don't care how much money. I don't care what kind of new house there is. Absolutely nothing physical can give you joy. It's only what is accomplished by the Holy Spirit when you obey him and take on his heart. Build the walls around your family. Build the walls around your own heart make you strong and impregnable against the enemy god that's what we desire
1: how many of you received that how many of you will respond to that in a position of prayer When we look at the United States of America, and what what I'm about to say is not intended to be provocative, but sobering, not to shock, but to bring a sobriety to our hearts and minds. When we turn on the news today, I know Israel is really dominating the news cycle, and it should be and that should cause us to come to a place of prayer like never before because ladies and gentlemen we we could be on the brink look look this way this is not hyperbole world war three could be in front of us your sons and daughters your 18 19 20 21 year olds it could it is not a farce to say The draft is going to be re-implemented. Military individuals are saying that America is not in shape to fight in three fronts. We've never deployed this kind of Navy, uh, to my understanding, since World War II. This is a serious moment. It's a cause for prayer. The apple of God's eye is being bombed like no other right now. That's one category. But weeks ago, if you would have turned on the news, you would hear things like this, and and this is a fact. There are teachers in specific states with elementary school students, and they ask them questions like this. They begin to speak to the boys, and they say, "Now, now Timmy and Michael have expressed that uh, they need to be regendered, and they want to be called her, and they want to be called she, and uh, they've come to the conclusion that they are a girl, and now for the other boys uh, in the room, how many of you since you've seen this uh, are now questioning maybe you're a girl? Just, Just go ahead and raise your hand. Do you know that is grooming and giving a basic altar call into transgenderism? My, my daughter is uh, nine years old. She's 10 years old now, but when she was seven, everybody say seven. I want you to say it again, seven. A seven-year-old doesn't even have uh, the mental capacity to know you need to eat uh, vegetables uh, uh, or you need to have a healthy breakfast, and you can't eat ice cream for breakfast. They don't, they don't have the mental capacity to understand that. I grew, up, well, I, did, I grew up in Alabama, but I lived in Dallas for 15 years. Uh, and my daughter was given an at-home assignment where she was supposed to watch a video. And then her assignment was to write an essay of the video depicting her emotions. My wife watched the video, and in the video, it had cross-dressing what I would consider drag queen dancing for my seven-year-old to watch and then articulate how her emotions were moved as she watched this particular video. Long story short, I, I lawyered up. Uh, I, I, got, I, I, got, I, got, I called some of my friends. I was going to spend every dime, and I was going to die on that hill, not on my watch. Is there anybody in here that would say today, not on my watch? not on my watch you know in america today listen we we need uh, and we need mercy love compassion but we need to have a backbone of steel when it comes to the hearts souls and minds of this next generation we wrote the school we wrote the principal and they backed off. They said it would never happen again. The teacher got rebuked. And the principal apologized profusely. But I was going to die on that particular hill. And let me, let me say this. How do you change this kind of ideology? Do you change it by an email? Do you change it by a good apologetic articulation? Do you change it to... By going to school and getting a better education, so you can speak in more of an intellectual way. Absolutely not. Those individuals need to meet God in a supernatural way. When you have individuals that are that are turning their head. To that God created male and female and they don't even understand basic 101 biology and when you say that only there are individuals in leadership in this nation that think it is violent speech to say the only person God created to have a baby is a woman something is amiss that would call that a violent act against their ideology. Is that going to be changed by a good presentation of better articulation? What do we need? An awakening. What do we need? What do we need? We need an awakening to come to this nation like never before. When you have states, one in particular, that says, and there's an ambiguity in the law, that once a mother has a baby outside the womb it's kicking she's breathing he's yelling the doctor and the mom can decide whether they want to terminate it at that moment friend to change that we need God almighty to move in this nation like never ever before We have an ideology that's only going to be shifted from the place of prayer. It's this day, it's this hour, and it's this moment. You heard Wilkerson talk about when Nehemiah saw Jerusalem, he broke down, he couldn't eat, he couldn't sleep. All he could do was weep and fast and pray to the God of heaven. Have what I just explained to you a position that calls for weeping, that calls for deep prayer, that calls for deep fasting? He broke down and he was moved by the position of Jerusalem. I'm telling you. Our walls aren't broken down literally right now, but the walls of morality in America have crumbled to the ground. The walls of godliness in the United States of America have crumbled to the ground, and we need to restructure and see this nation come back to Jesus Christ Like never before. And it's going to call for a season of fasting and weeping and praying and crying out to God in a manner like never, ever before. I I want to read this and I'm going to talk to you about a couple of revivalists uh, this morning. But I just, uh, as I was praying about this service, uh, I, I, I felt to read this to you. You don't have to turn there. But in Haggai Chapter 1, verse 2, Thus says the Lord of hosts, The people say, The time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. He goes on to say, They're living their life. They're in their paneled houses. They're enjoying luxury. They're enjoying The accommodations of this life, they're eating, they're drinking, they're merry, they're watching television, they're going to the movies, they're going to the mall, they're having a grand time, they're on vacation while the house of God remains in a ruin. What Haggai was saying was they're busy about their life, what makes them happy, what makes them satisfied while the house of God remains in a ruin, and God said to the prophet Haggai something very sobering. He's telling the people of Israel, Consider your ways. I believe that God wants to say that to us today. To consider what we're giving our time to, what we're giving our life to. I want to talk to you this morning about prayer that births awakening prayer that ignites revival at the turn of the century in the 1900s there was a man by the name of william j seymour who really in some accounts could say is the father of the pentecostal movement around the world In the last 125 years and really was the individual that was the embryonic birth to the Assemblies of God. He was born a son of slaves five years after the Civil War. He grew up in a horrific time in the United States of America for African Americans during Jim Crow laws and segregation and racism and all the things that go along with the discrimination He felt that, he grew up in southern Louisiana, and he moved to Indianapolis, Indiana, trying to escape some of the segregation and some of the things that were coming against him. And in this process, he gave his heart to Christ. And as he looked at the United States of America and the state of the nation, then with all of those things that were going on that I just said, how was America going to come out of that? Uh, It needed a revival and an awakening to change the paradigm heart and mindset uh, of men and women in this nation. And accounts say that Seymour began to pray. He would pray five hours a day For revival and awakening, uh, he cried out to God. And John G. Lake said this uh, of William Seymour, that he told him uh, two and a half years before the Azusa Street revival that God had dealt with him uh, and began to speak to him concerning uh, his burden for revival and said, Seymour, do you want to see revival? He responded, yes, yes. And he said, well, then you need to pray seven hours a day. Now, I'm not putting that kind of load on anybody in this room. The point I am trying to make right now is not seven hours a day, but Seymour's obedience uh, to the word of the Lord. It's not an amount of time or amount of days, but we have got to be obedient to, to what God is telling us to do to be an agent of change in this nation. For Seymour, it was praying seven hours a day. Maybe for you, God might speak to you that you need to fast a a day out of the month. uh, three days out of the month that you might need to come to the church one Saturday a month and given eight hours of intercession and prayer. Maybe you've been praying 15 minutes a day and the Lord wants you to double your time and your devotion to God to 30 minutes a day. Maybe you haven't had a devotional life. Maybe the only spirituality you receive is on Sunday mornings and you barely pray throughout the week and you've never had a consistent devotion life. Uh, You've never had a consistency when you've opened the Bible and began to read it and ask God to speak to you. Maybe your Bible is dusty and your prayer closet has been closed. and there's no consistency to it. Uh, And God is just saying to you, Mike, I want you to spend 20 minutes with me a day. You can't just go to church uh, and expect uh, me to be in your life in the measure that I want to be in your life. Uh, You can't expect to overcome the temptation uh, that you've been facing uh, when all you do is come to church three or four times a week. Uh, You must uh, seek God in fasting and prayer and devotion Maybe that's what God is saying to you. But to Seymour, he said, I want you to begin to pray seven hours a day. And Seymour began to set his face towards God. And he began to pray seven hours a day. He moved to Los Angeles, California, where he was offered a church to pastor. And he was only there for just a very few days. And the individuals that brought him in to pastor the church... Didn't like his doctrine. They locked the door and shut him out, and he was homeless with no money. And there was a family that took him in, and all he did during that time was fast and pray and seek God for revival in the United States of America. Five years later, now when he's in L.A., it was several months later, but five years of after the five years of prayer, two and a half years of seven hours a day daily prayer, all of the sudden a group of people that had never been baptized in the Holy Spirit, uh, suddenly the heavens began to open uh, And the Spirit of the Lord began to pour out uh, upon that little cottage prayer meeting. Uh, People were slain in the Spirit, uh, and they began to pray in tongues. Uh, Within a matter of days, uh, hundreds of people had gathered in Bonnie Bray Street. uh, And one of the powerful miracles uh, that took place in Azusa was like Acts chapter 2. In Acts 2, when they prayed, there was continuity with the Azusa Street Revival. As they prayed in Acts 2, the heavens opened and the Spirit descended and they began to pray in tongues. But as they did, it wasn't just an, an initial physical evidence. They stepped out into the streets And people that were Arabic, people that were Greek, people that were Assyrian, they began to hear their own dialect spoken by Jewish men and Jewish women that had never been outside of Israel, that only knew the Hebraic language. And all of a sudden, in this community area, where the nations had gathered, they hear these Jewish men speaking in their own dialect uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, What a powerful miracle that was uh, for people that did not know the language. Uh, You know what that was? It was a sign, and it was a wonder that God was in their midst Uh, and three thousand people gave their life to christ in the azusa street revival it was common it probably happened if not on a weekly basis uh, but upon a daily basis uh, where a native indian for instance uh, would be at the altar and begin to pray in a tongue And an individual unsaved visiting from the nation of Germany would be in the room and they would hear perfect German dialect being spoken something like this. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. They would hear the gospel within their own language. It was miraculous and this was birthed from a place of prayer and anguish. This platform that I'm standing on right now is an Assemblies of God church. In the United States of America, we have roughly 30, 13,000 Assembly of God churches and around 40,000 ministers. Around the world, we have under just under 500,000 Assembly of God churches with millions of ordained and credentialed ministers and that was not birth because we had a good communicator. It wasn't birth because of an evangelist that moved the crowd. It was birthed by an African-American man during the hours of Jim Crow and segregation that was half blind and history tells us he wasn't the greatest communicator. 500,000 churches around the world since 1906 was birthed by a man that was an intercessor that prayed until something happened and that gave birth to awakening and revival in this nation and around the world. I want to tell you, we need an awakening of good articulation and charisma, education, and intellectualism, we're going to change the United States of America. This nation would have been changed a long time ago. I'm going to share one more story with you, and I, and I pray this would move you to the soul of your being. How, how many of you right now understand fundamentally that we do need an awakening in the United States of America? Come on, put your hand up in the air. Put your hand... How many of you would say as well, I need to do something about it. Uh, I can't just stand and watch uh, the nation burn like a dumpster fire any longer. I must position myself uh, in a place of prayer and cry out to God for God to send another awakening. Throw your hand up uh, in the air right now. A call to action. Charles Finney was an evangelist in the 1800's, he got saved, he was a lawyer, he was a a businessman, he got radically saved, he had an encounter with Jesus Christ that rocked his life, and through this encounter God called him to be an evangelist, he got saved one day, he went back to the office the next day and resigned his position. He had a client, and the client said, You're going to try my case today, right, Mr. Finney? He said, No, I will only try the case of the Lord Jesus Christ. He resigned from his office, and he began to pray. He began to seek God. He began to go after God. And he would begin to get invited places to preach. And for the first ten years of, of Charles Finney's ministry, He never put together a sermon outline. He never organized a sermon to speak or to preach. He preached out of divine unction. If I could ask you this for the next five minutes, there's been lots of moving around. If we could just stay tuned for the next five minutes, I promise I won't preach far beyond that in any shape, form, or fashion. Charles Finney was invited to Antwerp. To preach at a local school, and the individual that invited him was the only person that was saved in that community. And there were 300 that gathered in a little schoolhouse with no air conditioning in the 1850s. And when Finney got there, he didn't have a message to preach. And remember, he didn't come with an outline. He didn't come with a predetermined message. So he got down on his knees and he began to pray. He began to say, God, what do you want me to speak? Now, if I was in this church with the large majority of Christians in this room, if I didn't know what to preach, uh, I would be perplexed to put the microphone down and ask everybody to stay seated and silent uh, until God speaks to me. Fifteen minutes go by, nobody leaves. There's no worship team, there's no power, there's nothing. Thirty minutes go by. Forty-five. And this isn't even a church service. These are all lost people. After one hour, the Lord speaks to him and he said, this is what I want you to preach. I want you to stand up uh, and I want you to preach the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. All he heard was, up out of this place for I shall destroy it. So... He stands up. He couldn't even find it in the Bible. He couldn't even remember where it was. He gets up and he begins to preach on lot and Sodom and Gomorrah. And he looks at the people and they are infuriated. Their teeth are showing. They're angry. As he's preaching, he's thinking in his mind, they're going to kill me. These men are about to get up and physically attack me. He began to get unnerved. And in that moment, as he's preaching, all of a sudden, ladies and gentlemen, a woman fell out of her chair and began to scream under the conviction of God. And as she did this, uh, the Spirit of God fell on the entire room. And everyone was on the floor screaming and crying over the condition of their soul. No one was saved. Finny... Could not speak loud enough for people to hear him, and he would go to people one by one and get in their ear and shout as loud as they could to bring them to Jesus Christ, and they would give their life to Christ. This happened for about four hours, and then Finney had another appointment that he needed to attend to. He told the man that invited him, This is with you, I've got to go. Finney sees that man two or three days later and and the man says to Finney did you notice that the people were angry? He said I totally noticed the people were angry. I began to get a little bit frightened. Why were they so perturbed at the message that I was preaching? He said everyone thought you and I had talked uh, and I had told you what to say about this city He said, Do you know that all these people call me Lot because I'm the only saved person here and that this city is so wicked? The city's nickname is Sodom. And you stood up under a prophetic unction and preached about Lot being a righteous man, saving an entire city friend, that did not happen through good articulation or planning, marketing. It happened from the place of prayer. It was the beginning of the birth of of the second great awakening in the United States of America. What we're doing here right now, what I'm about to share is the Charles Granderson Finney model. Finney in this process became friends with a man named Father Daniel Nash. Father Daniel Nash was an intercessor that prayed with a man named Abel Clary. And Finney said, God's moving in our meetings, but there needs to be more intensity. Wouldn't you think the intensity of 300 screaming out to God, all 300 getting saved. Do you know historians followed the Second Great Awakening 15 years later? 15 years later, church historians went to the cities and villages and they would, they would interview people and they found that 90 to 95% of the converts in the Second Great Awakening were still in church 15 years later. Finney said, Nash, would you work with me? Here's what I want you to do. Would you go to the city? You and Abel Clary, and would you pray and fast for 30 days? Day and night, they would take 12-hour shifts and pray for 30 days. And when Finney would get there, entire cities would get saved. I have come here to say today and to prophesy over our team, to prophesy over my life, to prophesy over you, that if God did that then, he can do it again in Jesus' name. If God saved entire cities In that dispensation of time, he can save all of Decatur. He can save all of Birmingham. He can save Mobile and Selma, Alabama. He wants to do it again. Entire cities would get saved. It's not hyperbole. to say, well, Joe, that's a bit of an exaggeration. That's evangelistically speaking. That is not evangelistic speaking. If you're an evangelist that followed Finney in the second great awakening and you went to a city that he had gone to, you didn't have any work to do. They needed pastors, not another evangelist. So Finney, they're going in, they're praying night and day and Finney gets to Nantwich a few days early. They're in probably their 27th, 28th day of fasting and prayer. Finney gets there before the meetings, and they took him on a tour of a factory. And they said, they're just showing him the, the, the owner's not saved, the supervisor's not saved. And as he's touring the factory, he sees a woman about 8, 12 feet from him. And he sees her begin to act in an unusual manner. And he eases a bit closer, and he makes eye-to-eye contact with her. And when he did, the Spirit of God came she began to weep, she began to wail, she collapses under the power, and you know what happened? It was high hundreds or low thousands, the entire factory got hit by the power. Everybody say hit by the power. Everybody say great awakening. This would be like going into a textile mill, going into Walmart. Imagine going into Walmart this afternoon and when you walked in, the manager was hit by the power of God and the entire Walmart came under the glory, not because of good preaching, but because of somebody prayed in such a manner that the heavens that were brass became soft and began to open up. You know how long that meeting lasts? Three days. The owner stood up and said, we cannot be about business as normal. We will be about the business of souls. Do you know what happened three months later when a historian came back? Listen to this number. Say 100% say a hundred percent a hundred percent of the people that were saved in that factory were all still in church three months later in Jesus name that's what we're doing here we can't do 30 days yet because we don't have the staff we will do 30 days as God leads us in the future we've started with 10 days We've said, God, you did it when I first got saved 25 years ago and I read that story, something jumped in me, something burned in me when I read about the apostles uh, as they fasted and prayed for 10 days. uh, Something happened on the 10th day. Something miraculous happened uh, during Finney's time. And I said, God, let's do this, Lord. They asked me with the Assemblies of God to be their prayer director. I said, I'll do it under one condition. You give me a van, Evangelism, too. I said, I want to submit a radical model. I want to raise up a a battalion, an army of missionaries uh, like Father Daniel Nash uh, and Abel Clary and couple them with fiery John the Baptist uh, evangelists uh, like Charles Finney and John G. Lake and Smith Wigglesworth uh, and Catherine Kuhlman and Oral Roberts. Uh, I want to marry prayer and evangelism. uh, In the assemblies of God uh, to cry out and to go to the cities uh, of America. I'm telling you, Decatur not only needs this, uh, Detroit uh, needs what we're doing. Uh, San Francisco needs what we're doing. Uh, New York City needs what we're doing. Uh, Washington, D.C., you're next uh, in Jesus' name. And we've got to birth something in this place, uh, in this church uh, this is the incubator you are the midwives will you join with us i'm not asking you right now to pray for dc although we do you're calvary you live in tanner you live in decatur you live in huntsville let me be very 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 gracious right now let me let me say this in love and mercy There are many of you that love God, that want a move of God. You had not been here all week. Uh, You've been watching television. You've been hanging out with your friends Uh, while America is on fire. We're on the brink of World War III. There's no condemnation in me right now. This is not uh, some harsh rebuke, uh, but the Lord is beckoning you. Will you join your pastor? Would you join... Pastor George, Pastor Phyllis, I want you to come... uh, front and center of your altar right now your pastor when i asked him could we bring this here he didn't blink your pastor and your church has sewn in a lot of resource they paid for the hotel they're paying for the food so we can intercede well our burden this week we're not crying out for florida we're crying out for decatur stand up missionaries You know there's not a missionary on this front row or in the back room or around America that lives in the state of Alabama. They don't live here. This is not our state. This is not our city. This is not our home. It's yours. Do you want to see an awakening in Decatur, Alabama? Do you want to see a move of God in your city? Do you want to say, I'm telling you right now, I believe this, I'm going to prophesy. You saw this baptismal tank. Do you think it was a coincidence at the birth of the siege, there's somebody in a crack house where all of a sudden the conviction of God begins to fill the room? Do you think it's a coincidence that somebody's hitting a crack pipe and all of a sudden, As we begin to pray in this sanctuary, conviction falls in a crack house. I want to tell you, that's like the Hebrides revival when suddenly, God begins to move. I'm telling you, there's a lot of crack houses, there's bar houses, there's prostitute houses, and as we come together, I'm telling you, God wants to expand from one crack house and one center. He showed you Calvary. He said this, nobody did it. We didn't send a team to that crack house. Through our prayers, the conviction of God Went to that crack house and she's been in every prayer meeting. She just got saved and she's been praying six hours a day for revival in Decatur. Man, she set the bar. Some of us have been saved 30, 40 years. She's been saved five days and she's at every prayer meeting. How many of you want to see that happen in Decatur? Would you help me, bro? I'm a very busy man. I'm busier than a one armed hanger. I lay on this floor in your church and I ask God to open the heavens over your church. This isn't my church, it's yours. I pray you have more of a burden for your church than somebody that doesn't go there. I pray that you'd get more of a burden for your city than somebody that drove here from Florida. I pray you'd get more of a burden from Alabama than somebody from Baltimore, Maryland that comes to the church and prays for 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. every night for God to open the heavens. Lord, would you raise up some Father Nashes and some Abel Clary's.
0: Thank you for listening to today's podcast. You can connect with us live each Wednesday and Sunday through our social media pages. If today's message has blessed you, Please rate and review us so that more people can hear this message of Christ. Find out more about Calvary on our website
1: at calvaryassembly.org.